Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Okay, episode 15, I think, yeah, of Asking Why Podcast. Welcome to the show. Um, super glad to have you guys. Um, we're going to talk about some dietitian stuff today, right? Yeah, um, that's right. We have introduced yourselves and kind of tell us, you know, who you are and what you do. I'll let you go first. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm Rachel Haynes, and I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I live in Ruston. That's where um, my, my practice is. And um, I'm, I'm married. I have two kids. My youngest is one and a half, and um, I have a three and a half year old as well, two girls. Um, so my job is really flexible. I love getting to um, raise them, be at home with them, but also I love dietetics and I love uh, being a dietitian. So I'm excited that I've found um, a job where I can raise them and also live my passion. So, um, but yeah, I work for a residential facility for women with life controlling issues, Mercy Multiplied. Mm. Um, I consult for them. And that's where really most of my experience in dietetics comes from. Uh, found out about them in college. I really, I went through the internships, which we'll talk about later, and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do with dietetics. I knew that I loved the the field, but uh, when this opportunity came up, I knew, I just, I cried when I found out about it because the dietetics was combining with ministry and mm. I didn't really know that that was possible for me or what that would look like. And so I just dove into um, this job <laughs> feeling so nervous about it, feeling really um, not prepared for it, but that was really such a, an opportunity for me to trust the Lord and um, to to see that he had prepared me for it for so so long and working with these women um, it was it was like a mirror for me to to see really my own issues and where I needed healing in my relationship with food so I work primarily with the residents that um, struggle with eating disorders and so that's where my journey in eating disorder recovery started and got to teach them um, how to live a healthful lifestyle and uh, um, healthy healthy um, cooking tips and I mean they prepared all of their own food and so just getting to be hands-on with them I mean some of them were there for more than six months and so Mm -hmm. I got to see their whole journey um, play out and they uh, also had counseling through the process so that just opened my mind and appreciation for mental health and for counseling and how important counseling is in the process of um, eating disorder recovery and how they just go hand in hand. And so that job was a huge blessing and I still get to work for them. I worked in the home for about five years and now I work uh, remotely for them. I work for the three other homes in the U.S. and work one-on-one with those that struggle with eating disorder 
planning system and just make sure that you know that that is strong and the girls are learning um, nutrition education and also developing a healthy relationship mm-hmm. with food and um, also supporting the counselors as they are working with these residents with eating disorders and so that that backstory is kind of kind of tells me how I got here and and why I'm I'm just so passionate about helping others find freedom in their relationship with food and how I got into uh, disordered eating recovery. Nice. So, yeah. Um, so what what personally I guess led you into when you talked about your struggles with yeah. food? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Like what did it, what brought to light as you started working you know in this field? Because I think all yeah. of us do that. I mean. As a therapist, we work in, you know, get into therapy because we want to help people, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we always know what our own stuff is. Sure. And so you end up working with people like, oh, I do this too, or I need to work yeah, yeah. on this, or I need to have awareness. And, oh, that's, so and that's a constant struggle, you know, continually. So yeah. kind of how did that come about or what you learned so far? So in high school is when I, I learned what a dietitian even was. And so I had a great um, home ec teacher, nutrition teacher in high school. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in that. And um, I was interested in it personally, so you know I thought that's a that's a way that I can help people because if I'm passionate about it, then I'm I'm going to want to teach about it and live it. And uh, so thankfully, once I started in, in it in, in college, I knew Tech had a great program. Louisiana Tech is where I got my bachelor's and my master's degree. Uh, how about I them just, dogs? How about them dogs? <laughs> I just went for it and and I liked it. I mean, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with it, but I just knew that I loved to talk about it and live it and teach it. And I think really in high school also, while that that discovery was going on, I was really exposed to diet culture as well and realized that, um, you know, there were some things going on. I didn't quite, I couldn't quite identify them yet, but I knew that my relationship with food was starting to change. And um, honestly, my body size was starting to change, just like growing, growing up and growing into um, my woman figure. You know, that was no one really prepared me for that. And so I think I started really seeking control through my eating patterns and my thoughts and thankfully um, stayed very healthy. I mean, nothing dangerous as far as my behaviors, but that's when really I feel like my thoughts started changing and that further developed in college as well. And so all the while I'm learning about nutrition and I'm learning how to to help people um, with their, um, really with their diet, not so much with their relationship with food, but more so just with their diet and the logistics of that. And all the while, I'm I'm seeing issues in myself, and yeah. I don't quite know how to address that or talk about it because I'm thinking, well, I'm learning about all this, and I'm supposed to be the expert here, or <laughs> learning how to be the expert, and I'm struggling, and I don't know who to share that with. And so it felt like, I mean, it was years where I, I didn't really tell anybody about it. Mm. and. Because I didn't feel like it was enough of an issue to share, or I, felt, I normalized it and I minimized it. I felt like every, a lot of women deal with this, so mm-hmm. I'm just normal. This is, must must be my future. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about it. It's going you know, to be dramatic. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to make this a thing when it's not. And there was a little bit of pride there and embarrassment. And so once I started talking about it and realizing that I didn't have to live that way, um, and that I didn't have to be a perfect dietitian and have all of my eating patterns just right um, and that I was allowed to struggle uh, then I started realizing that there needed to be a voice in this area mm-hmm. and that um, that you know God called me to that and I'm not going to do it perfectly and that's okay um, but working for mercy uh, multiplied is really where 
I started understanding how to invite God into that process and surrender it to him really and truly. And that, um, you know, freedom was mine. I always thought that I was working for freedom. I was working to eliminate those thought patterns when really, um, you know, his presence is what I'm, Mm. I'm striving for, not the absence of those things, but the presence of him Mm -hmm. and really still working on what does that look like in my life? What does that look like in my clients' lives? And Mm -hmm. how can I help them, um, understand that, that this freedom is there for them. And, um, so it's, it's been such an honor to, to help people do that. And, um, it's, you know, it's so really humbling having to share my story so often, but it's it, my suffering wasn't in vain. You know yeah. what I mean? That silence that I felt like I was experiencing that, that isolation, I guess I felt like I was experiencing, um, uh, I'm, I'm seeing that I can help people avoid that. And by sharing my story and being vulnerable about it. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I, I'm so thankful that I am where I am now and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing how much I've grown in these past years and how my relationship with food has healed. I'm excited about the future and I know that it doesn't stop here and there's so much more mm-hmm. that's going to take place. And, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. So when working with clients and seeing them heal their relationship with food, it's, I'm learning right along with them and it's humbling to say that, but I think that's what makes a good dietitian and a good agree. counselor. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can't be honest, I mean, I tell our staff all the time, if you can't work on your own junk and you can't be honest about your own junk, then you're not, you know, you're not as helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's like we go to therapy so we can know what it's like to sit on the couch and I know what it's like when my therapist yawns or looks at the clock or, you know, does a certain therapeutic technique. And yeah. I'm like, it reminds me of how vulnerable it is to be on that, you know, in that right. other position to know that my clients who come in and sit, they're coming in with all kinds of things. They may not want to be here. They may be tired. They may be hungry. Mm-hmm. You know, every, you know, they pick up on everything you're doing that you're not really intentionally doing. And so I think same thing in, in all healthcare pro- professionals. I think if people do the work and yeah. they're better at providing it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, so it's been awesome having you. I know now you're on staff with us and Rustin. Yep. Um, so I'm a little biased because I've known Ashley for <laughs> a very long time and her and my wife are best friends and we're in the dietetics uh, internship together. So I'll mm-hmm. let you tell your own story. Right. But it was uh, it was nice when I talked to you and I'm super thankful for knowing you and what you're bringing to the table in Rustin because I had some context already for what, you know, in my opinion, makes a good dietitian and how we want to merge those mental health worlds. And right. so you know, hearing a little bit of your story and, and, you know, kind of seeing your perspective has has been awesome. So I appreciate you sharing that. Of course. Ashley, go ahead. I could talk forever about you, but I'll, uh, I'll let you do it. Oh boy, that might be dangerous. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I'm Ashley Rochelle and, um, I've been a registered dietitian for almost nine years now. It's, oh, maybe almost 10. I don't know. I'd have to do the math on that, but a really long time. Yeah, I'm getting (laughs) old. Um, and so, yeah, I am a wife. I am a mom of two. My oldest is almost five and my youngest is two and a half. And, um, so I'm in private practice. Um, my office is located here within Clint Davis counseling. I'm the owner of, um, fulfilled nutrition therapy. It's been a long time dream of mine. And, um, I just love the work that I do getting to work with, um, clients in, in healing their relationships with food. And I think that's so important. I think that there are not enough resources in this area or that it's not even understood that we need to do that. Mm -hmm. Like we don't even recognize that it's a problem and we'll get more into detail. I'm sure as we, 
as we go along. But, um, you know, really my journey here started a long time ago. Um, when I was a little girl, I was very much raised with, um, family members who were also influenced by diet culture and they were always dieting. And so I got this subconscious message that, um, your bodies were meant to be controlled. And, um, so I always sort of picked up on that and internalized that, even though I've had the privilege to live in a smaller body all of my life. Um, that didn't seem to affect, like that didn't seem to sink in with me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, as I got older, it became, um, just like Rachel mentioned, you know, it became, um, a sense of control. I, I was constantly trying to control what I ate, how much I ate. And, um, so, you know, that really kind of spiraled a little bit, definitely disordered eating. I think that if the right clinician had gotten in contact with me at the right time, it would have been something diagnosable as an eating disorder. And um, so then I went off to college and, um, you know, life happens and things happened. And, um, you know, I took my first nutrition class. Um, I changed my majors. I was, I was pre-med cell and molecular biology. Whew. Could not have continued in that. Um, so I, I took my first nutrition class um, the summer of my freshman year and, or the summer after my freshman year, I guess. And, um, I'll never forget calling my, my oldest sister. She's 10 years older than me and she's so wise. And I called her and I said, um, this is either really going to help me or this is going to make it so much worse. And I said, I want you to pay attention to that because I'm scared. I'm really scared. And so, um, you know, I took, I took that nutrition class. I fell in love. Um, I, I loved everything about it. It's the first time I finally understood that food wasn't meant to be feared, that food had a purpose. Um, unfortunately, as, as is the case with most, um, dietetics, you know, uh, education and curriculum, it's all very weight centric. It's all very much, um, focused on like control and, and, you know, that health is this, um, thing that we have to constantly try to be achieving at all times. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that meant that all of the disordered behaviors of restriction that I had been experiencing just morphed into orthorexia. And for those who are listening, who don't know what that is, it's more of like this, this obsession with eating in a way that is healthy or pure. Mm. So that means that I only wanted to eat, you know, the healthiest, like I, just like you mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. I thought I had to be the most perfect right. nutrition student. Right. I had to, you know, and, and that doesn't work out in reality. No. Um, <laughs> and it didn't for me. Yeah. So constantly I found <clears throat> myself feeling like I was failing at being the perfect nutrition student, the perfect future right. dietitian. And so that led to, you know, more, more disorder, you know, until, um, I finally got to a place on my own by the grace of God, you know, I got to a place where it was healthy ish, you know, it was good enough. And so I, mm. I went through my internship, um, things I, I let go of a lot of control. I got a lot of healing in my spiritual life, which came out in the way that I treated my body, like those types of things healed. But I would say that it really didn't shift for me until um, I became a mother. And when I was pregnant with my child, um, we decided not to find out uh, the baby's gender. And so much to my surprise, you know, this child was born 
and I had a daughter in my arms and it was miraculous and it was something I'd always wanted a daughter because I felt like I could do more like I wanted to protect her from what I had experienced and I wanted to heal and then all of a sudden it struck me like I have I have a daughter and I have so many issues yeah. that I oh, need yeah. to that. fix so I'm not passing on those behaviors mm. to my daughter. Yeah. And so it was really because of her that I was like You got me crying on the podcast, so thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, almost me too. <clears throat> I'm raining it in here. Um but it's one of those things where I'm like, I've gotta get the, I've gotta heal. You know, I have mm. to get this under That's control. So Um, and so that's when I was like, okay, all of a sudden I'm finding myself, I'd already decided I'm not going back to work full time for a job that I'm less than passionate about. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to, I want to be committed to, um, being with my child, you know, my firstborn and, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything less than what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so I set about figuring out what that looked like. And, you know, for me, it was, it was all kind of coming together. Um, when I was an intern, they gave us an opportunity to do, um, a rotation at an eating disorder clinic. And I was like, no way. (laughs) I'm not going near that with a 10 foot pole. That would be super triggering for me. And I still believe that would have been the case. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I'm like kicking myself because I'm like, ah, oh, that would have been the best opportunity. Right. But um, but anyway, I started finding myself in these these Facebook groups that were talking about this thing called intuitive eating, and I'm like, why have I never heard of this? That's crazy. Like, what right. you know, is this some kind of new diet? What am I talking about here? And so um, so the more that I learned, the more that I'm like, yes, that's the first time something has made sense to me, and it was this concept that we were born knowing how to eat and that goes back to like we were created in a way that is beautiful and it's only when these outside influences that come in that create disorder Mm. and so um like like you already mentioned you know we call that diet culture and diet culture is insidious and it is everywhere Mm. and you know for me those influences came in super young and so that's what we see is that when when we we receive those messages from diet culture that tell us you have to eat this way it has to be perfect it's very black and white thinking right black and white is yeah a good way to explain um, it. rigid it's very rigid you know um and anything less than perfection is failure right so and from a mental health standpoint yeah. that's a very it's a boundary issue right it's, mm-hmm. it's rigidity is there's no, it's, it's not emotional. It's not connected to who you are as a person. It's just right or wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and what you're saying, like that hits on it perfectly being connected to yourself as a person. And so intuitive eating focuses on increasing your interoceptive awareness. That is listening to the signals that your body is sending you and responding to them accordingly. Um, and so the more I learned, the more that intuitive eating led me to healing my own relationship with food to where finally I'm like, I can do this for other people. Like I'm healthy enough to do this for other people. And, you know, I've continued, that was five years ago now. And, um, since then I have absolutely devoured all sources of information that I could get on it. Mm -hmm. Books, podcasts, um, trainings. I I sought out specific training in eating disorders because I'm like, if, if I'm going to work with this population, then I need, the best of the best. Like I want to do everything possible to let them know that healing is possible. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, it's been a journey, you know, all along in my career. And I'm so thankful for every step of my career and every step of my life that brought me to this moment 
because I truly believe that this is God's purpose for me is to share, share his message, share healing, share hope in community with other people. And I just love that I get to do that every day that I get to have people who walk into my office and sometimes they're happy. And sometimes, um, they might be, you know, confused about what's going on for them and not really know, sorry, these are like falling off my head. Um, you know, not really, maybe they're hopeless, you know? And so I get to walk alongside them in this beautiful journey of healing and knowing that they don't have to go through it alone. And, you know, our, our work is so beautifully blended with mental health and so many, um, of the clients that we, we see are already, they're already in therapy doing the work. And if not, we get them in there real quick. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, I appreciate you sharing all that because that's, that's why I love having you guys as a part of the staff is and, and our other integrated wellness people is, you know, part of my journey. I know Ashley, you know it really well, but having, you know, a kid with F pies and a really bad, you know, really bad, rare mm-hmm. food allergy. It, you know, it was just the dietitians we did go to see were very focused on, you know, symptoms based treatment and not really getting to the root causes and not really understanding. Yeah. And while they were trying to treat something that they didn't really know about, you know, they weren't taking into consideration the trauma in the emotional toll oh, that yeah. it took on my mm-hmm. wife and me and breastfeeding and all these things. And, you know, we would go to Dallas seven and we went to Dallas like seven times over the course of two years. And it was just a lot. And the answers were always very much like, we'll just do this prescriptive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, yeah. it didn't take into consideration what that was going to cost you the time, the energy, the emotional toll. It was just like, well, just formula. Everybody's like, we'll just go to formula. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. well, formula is fit. You know, we don't have, they don't, insurance doesn't cover this. Yeah. You know, even though I'm paying $900 a month for Blue Cross Blue Shield, they don't cover <laughs> the 55 to $75 can of formula. Right, right. And you have to, you know, y'all know, formula goes really, really fast. Right. And so you're buying five, $600 worth of formula a month so you can just breastfeed. I mean, yeah. just do formula and mm-hmm, not breastfeed. It's right. like, so that was my first look at like, and, and JC's, my wife is a dietitian too and, you know, went to school, but. I think because of, and she would probably say this, because of the diet culture, it was just nothing she ever became super passionate about Yeah. because of the hangups of that. It just never connected emotionally with the, the whole person. And because we had a kid and had special mm-hmm. needs, she stopped being a dietitian and was at home. Yeah. And people were like, well, that's so awesome. She was a dietitian. That must have been so helpful. And we laugh because not being a dietitian, I think it definitely was helpful, yeah. but it wasn't as helpful as you would think it would be. Yeah. Right. It, it was helpful because like she knows what dextrose is and I don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, so when you're looking on the back of something, you're like, what's dairy? And she's like, well, these three things are dairy. Mm-hmm. The world doesn't know that. No. And so yeah. then we got um, another look at what it's like to be around people. And I think it's funny, you know. Food and sex, you know, are in the same category on Maslow's hierarchy of need, like their mm-hmm. basic needs. But they're also two things that people like do not have, know how to talk about. And so, like, if you're an alcoholic or you drink and you show up at a party and you don't drink, like, if any of you, you've ever been to a group where everybody's drinking, and you're the one not drinking, everybody freaks out. Yeah. They're like, why aren't you drinking? You should drink. Like, here's a drink. It's the same thing with food. Mm-hmm. You know, we show well, up to yeah. a birthday party with Grady and he doesn't have a cupcake or can't have it or can't eat Johnny's pizza that's given by everybody. And it's almost like everybody's offended yeah. or everybody's insecure that we're not eating what they are. So they, they either look at us like the family who's like, oh, well, their kids don't get pizza. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wish he could eat this pizza. I would right. give him the whole thing. Absolutely. 
but you're constantly dealing with this judgment or criticism because of everybody else's relationship with food. Mm, yes. It's not really your relationship with food. Oh yeah. It's the fact that they don't understand their relationship with it. Yeah. They're just doing the normal, this is what we do. You have a pizza party and they don't think is one of the 20 kids, can they all eat this? Mm-hmm. Their assumption is, is that everybody can eat pizza and that's what you do. And, right. and so there's that whole culture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, in that, I'm like, okay, how can we be a mental health facility and practice that takes all of that in consideration? And so it's been cool to see, like, both of you, you know, send referrals and get referrals and, and know that, you know, the people are getting holistically taken care of. So if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're in an area in which you're struggling with this, like, find a place that does that. You know, if you don't live here or you're, you know, find a place that, you know, you're going to have to advocate for yourself. And that's the hardest part is us having to kind of chase down resources and figure out who's going to do what and try people out and then be like, oh, you know, that didn't work or that's that's the same thing. Right. You know, so anyway, Um, what are some myths or like kind of barriers that you guys have found in your practices? I mean, you touched on them a little bit, but about like diet culture, like can you can you all like talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, when I. When I think about that, I think one of the first things um, people misunderstand about going to see a dietitian or what dietitians do is they're, we're going to give a list of rules or we're going to... A meal plan. We're gonna, yeah. Yeah. It might be a meal plan. We're just going to hand no. out a meal plan, which... You would be rich if you wrote all the meal plans that people asked you to, I'm sure. Oh, for oh, sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, and a small part of me, I mean... I'll, loves a meal plan it's like this puzzle that you can figure out and I love the idea of a meal plan so I can relate to people wanting that they Mm -hmm. want very black and white they don't want to think about it no absolutely not I mean and it's a fix it's a fix and I mean there are certain areas of my life where I want to fix absolutely so I get that I get why people say it and I I try to have empathy for it um and and explain to them why I don't do that and uh why um, I want to teach them how to eat and I want to teach them to listen to their bodies and, um, of course, listen to what their concerns are and why they want the meal plan. But I know that there are certain health challenges out there where a meal plan is absolutely necessary, maybe yeah. for weight restoration <clears throat> or um, if there are intolerances or allergies, That's um, there's a time and a place for it. But mm-hmm. I think general population, those that are seeking um, or pursuing a healthy lifestyle or want some education in as far as nutrition goes they they think that a meal plan is the answer and so i think that people often think that we will give the meal plan and in turn they're going to have a list of rules and we're going to take away a lot of their we're the food police we're the food that's what they think yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um we're going to you know remove the pleasures uh, some of the pleasures of their life and and some you know they're kind of blind to it at first they think well that's what i need that's what i want Mm -hmm. i need somebody to Give me some tough love and tell me what not to eat, and then that's slap food fix out of my hand. Yeah, I've had people say that. Just, just slap food out of my right. hand. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hold me accountable. Make yeah. sure that I that I don't do these things. And it's so the opposite of what we mm-hmm. what we do. And uh, you know, I I want to add to their life. I want to explain how they can have freedom in their life and what that can look like, and that that's possible in their relationship with food. I mean, a lot of people don't even know they have a relationship with food, right? Or even a belief system about food mm-hmm. and so that's a lot of what I do with my clients is help them understand that you have this whole belief system about food that you didn't even know was there it starts with your experiences in childhood and exposure to diet culture and what you believe about your body 
Um, there's so much that goes into it. And so helping un- unfolding that and helping people see that, then they start to realize um, that I, I don't necessarily need very black and white answers and yeah. um, teaching them to make these decisions really for themselves. But I think a lot of where that comes from, that desire for a meal plan or rules, you know, food rules are, they beg to be broken. You know, we just weren't meant to follow right. a diet. We weren't, that, there's a reason why we fail at them. And so it violates um, our autonomy. Absolutely. We want that sense that like I, I like to tell people to think of it as like your brain and your body when they are disconnected and they are not talking to one another because usually your brain's trying to take control. It's trying to say like, no, you shouldn't eat that. Right. Your body's going, watch me. Just <laughs> right. wait and watch mm-hmm. me because eventually that, that restrictive mindset, you telling yourself, I, I'm not going to eat this food, you know, whether it's sugar or carbs or candy or, you know, whatever your body eventually, like eventually something is going to happen and that's going to shift and you get your hand on that food. And then all of a sudden you feel out of control. Powerless. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it leads us to, it like reinforces this false narrative that we can't control ourselves around that food. And that way we should just not even keep it it. in the house. Yeah. Eliminate it. Right. (laughs) I can't control myself. It's a trigger food for me. I'm just going to take it out altogether. Right. When in reality, it was your body just fighting for that sense of autonomy. It was fighting for the ability to choose whether or not it it can eat and enjoy that food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a lot of people that that come in and they say like, oh, I'm out of control. I'm out of control. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that relationship with food and dig in. And nine times out of ten, you'd say, it's restriction that causes the binge, you know? It, whether that's physical restriction or mental restriction, that is what causes us to feel so mm-hmm. chaotic and out of control. And the mm. look on people's faces when you explain the, the science of it yeah. and that they're not broken. And this is a very natural physical response to restriction. Right. It's so, it's it's almost emotional to see oh, that they yeah. realize, oh, I've, I've done this for years and I'm, I'm not broken. This is, my body's fighting for me and God designed mm-hmm. my body to respond this way. I mean, I remember when I, that started clicking for me and it was yeah. just so freeing and I just wanted to share it with people. Like <laughs> this is yeah. norm. This is very healthy for your body to respond with a binge. That sounds crazy, but yeah, it's a healthy physical natural. response. Very natural. Yeah. Cause the idea is that, you know, if you are binging, um, or, or responding in that way, eating overeating, even right. not even a full binge Sure, is that, um, you are, you don't, you don't have willpower or that you're weak. Yes. And that is not the case at all. It's not the case at all. You know, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it, it, that like that's diet culture. That's telling you that, you know, no pain, no gain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that is not the case here. Like if something is harming you, that's, that's your body's indication. Just stop, stop right. doing that thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and the same thing goes with food. Like if you are, if you are constantly feeling so out of control, it's time to, to, take a step back and say like, what is really, what is really going on here? Right. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, it's crazy as you're saying it. Um, because it, it, it's the same thing with, with sex. It's the same thing with drugs. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with alcohol. Like it's just the brain's way of coping. And so we were talking before, like about the mental health aspect and I'll jump a little bit, but like that is, it's just a symptom of the emotional component. Absolutely. Right? I mean, the, the real issue below all of that is, is how we view ourselves and how we find identity. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. really the core issue. Yeah. How your dad said something about food or the moment like with sex addiction or drugs and alcohol, it's always, well, there was this moment where I got busted and this thing happened and I felt deep shame. 
Yeah. You know, and I, and I learned this. And then they're in my office and we're walking through and it's the same thing. This light bulb goes, goes on and they realize like, oh, me watching pornography or me, you know, uh, drinking or me smoking was not just a random event that started happening. It was directly connected to my trauma and mm-hmm. my emotions oh, yeah. and my identity with myself or who I wanted to be with and connect with or whatever. Yeah. And in the same way, yeah, people just don't, we don't as a culture in general talk about mental health. And so these things are just dietitians. Mm-hmm. You have your lawyers, you have your police officers, you have your therapists, you yeah. know. Now the therapists are the only ones who deal with mental health. Everybody else is just doing their thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, no, all of that starts with your emotional and your spiritual life mm-hmm. and what plays out of it. So it, as I'm listening to you guys, I'm like, man, that, that sounds like everything I do in my office, yeah. which is beautiful yeah. because that's so different than and people listening to this probably are thinking the same thing. Like that's such a different ideology than going and changing your diet. Oh, yeah. You know, right. And, yeah. Part of our job is to help them to see that. It's not about the food. Oh, yeah. Right. I, yeah. Well, I barely we call, talk about food, right. I feel like, honestly. Well, you we know? call sex addiction an intimacy disorder. Mm-hmm. And people have a really hard time understanding that it's not about sexuality. Yeah. yeah. Alcoholism is not about the alcohol. It's about the emotional. That's just a symptom. So that's, that's mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I know we've talked about this a little bit some, but it, it's exciting, yeah. exciting for me to hear it because it's just such a reminder for people listening that there are answers. Right. You know, that they can actually have control in a healthy way, mm-hmm. you know. Because it, they can have freedom, right? And yeah. it, it's not necessarily yeah. control in the sense of um, I'm 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 empowered is what I mean. Yeah, you know, like absolutely. I'm, which is a sense of control, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. not control in the sense of where a diet would come in and say I'm going to physically, you know, control it. Yeah, but you're going to feel more empowered, which gives you a you know a feeling of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's a lot of of why people want the pl- the plan and it, they put a label on it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm doing something for my health, and I, I don't think they go into it thinking that I'm, 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 tr- I'm stepping into diet culture. You know, they, 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 they want to be healthy. They want to pursue health, but I think, you know, it goes back to our, our, our flesh. I mean, our desire to really idolize food, idolize our eating patterns. Um, ultimately, we, we want to be our own gods. Mm-hmm. You know, we, mm-hmm. we don't want to surrender our eating patterns to the Lord. We don't want to. Um, it, it feels scary. It feels uncomfortable when we have a, a list of yeses and nos or good foods or bad foods. That feels comfortable. That mm-hmm. feels safe. Um, it feels like, it, it, you know, it feel, it's control, you know, that, yeah. that they're seeking. And so I think that once I, that's what hit me. It wasn't um, necessarily, I think I, w- I realized I wasn't correcting behaviors, but now um, I, I want people to understand how to be obedient in this area and how to, to seek freedom in a lasting way mm-hmm. and not just a behavior correction type of way where we're really getting to the root of um, you're not broken because you want that list of yeses and nos. You're not broken because you want to jumpstart your new year with a new eating pattern. Yeah. Like that's, of course that's you do. healthy yeah. responses. Of course you do. That's what diet culture has told absolutely. us. Like, that's just what you do. That's new what you year, do. New you. It's healthy. <laughs> it's labeled yeah. healthy, but um, kind of realizing the root and, and the, the, the part of us that, that wants um, – we want to control it. We want to be our own gods. And our bodies are our first reminder that we are not God. You know, we have this flesh. We have 
um, our bodies are, are aging and, Mm -hmm. you know, we are constantly reminded that we're out of control with our bodies. So food is the first place we tend to jump to. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get back in control. I'm going to be in charge of this and I'm going to do it through my list of yeses and nos. I mean, that's exactly what Eve was pursuing with, um, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just wanting a yeses and nos. Mm -hmm. I want to know, I want to be the one in charge. And, um, because not feels scary. Not yeah. being in charge feels really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that a lot of times people are coming to us expecting, um, you know, with the meal plan or with the list of yeses and no that they're asking for. What they're wanting is um, our authority. Yes. And I think that where we are different than some of the more traditional dietitians right. is that word. Yeah, traditional. Yeah, we're we're helping them to understand that they are the authority over their own bodies they've just been com- that like they've just become so disconnected from their body sensations their hunger their fullness you know sometimes i get people in my office and they're like i don't even know what i like anymore yeah. i don't even know what foods i like yeah and so it's really helping them to understand it's still there that we're, we're helping you get back to default mode. We're mm-hmm. not introducing something new. This is something, this is how you were created to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're the authority. Let's help you uncover what that is. You know, right. let's help peel back all of those layers until we can get back to who you are at the core, what's important to you and, and really like listen and tune in to your body once again. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm glad you said that it, it, it because the process it sounds really intimidating but i mean the reality is it just takes time mm. and a lot of people <laughs> people don't like that they don't no. like it especially with your diet or changes with your body they don't want to hear that it takes time and top it, 10 questions how long is this going to take <laughs> for yeah. Sure. yeah i mean yeah you know it, recovery is the same way yeah you know, i'm sure what do you mean I, i'm not going to be sober in six months i'm like you know it's a two to three year process yeah and they're like what I would you know, say money, sort of time, energy, similar. you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. and what I try to remind people is like you, again, it shows how little, how, and I, I mean, we, cause all of us do this, mm-hmm. how short sighted we are. And God shows us that a lot, you know? Yeah. But if you think about like adjusting your life in a year or in two years, when, once you adjust it and you get good enough and you get relatively comfortable and you find some freedom, mm-hmm. then you have 30 to 50 years left of your life to do life in a totally different way. Yes. But people forget like, oh gosh, two years, three years, it's overwhelming. I'm never going to make that. So then they spend 40 years being miserable, Yes. Mm -hmm. you know, and being unhealthy. And when it comes to food, but also mental health, they don't live long enough for that to be a thing. And I think we're seeing that right now. You know, Jason and I were talking about this over the break. Like we both got COVID and the whole family had COVID for two weeks. And we were talking about just like symptom and I, you know, everybody who listens to this podcast is going to you know, hear me say this a hundred times, but it's like focusing on symptoms and not treating the root problem and asking, why are we doing this? Yeah. Right. And so I'm not going to get into a big COVID debate, but the reality is a lot of what we're doing to deal with COVID is all symptom based treatment. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, all, all people are dying and people are getting sick when they get COVID and there are a lot of variables and some people seem relatively healthy and get it and crash. So that's not everybody, but in general, the answers are the same you know, drink water, take your vitamins, eat well, yeah. exercise, yeah. and the likelihood of something taking you out is going to be a lot less likely. Sure. But we don't want to do those things. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? The answers are similar. They're the same. Yeah. We uh, talk about engaging in health promoting behaviors. Right. And know? preventative work. And we yeah. just have this system of care in America 
where it's don't do any of that. Do mm -hmm. the quick fix. And then when it gets bad, somebody better come up with a system to where we can fix this right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people come with, to mental health, to dietitians with the same thing like, hey, I'm 60 pounds overweight or I'm anorexic or I'm bulimic or I'm doing yeah. these things and I need the immediate answer mm -hmm. now yeah. to fix this tragedy that I'm in. And it's like, well, hold on. We got to go back to before and figure out how you got to this place. Yeah. Because if we don't, then you'll just be right back here. And I feel like that's what diet culture does a lot is mm -hmm. that people, it does work. Yes. Right. For yeah. a short period of time. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I can't tell you the amount of clients and myself personally who have tried to eat whatever and they maintain it for a little while. They look better. They feel a little bit better mm -hmm. and then they just crash yeah. and they gain 40, 50 pounds back. Yeah. And that's you know. the illusion, right? Mm -hmm. The illusion is that diets are successful you know that if if i do this or like everyone knows that guy like oh i know that person who tried who did this diet or whatever and it worked just look at them you know but some things that are really important to understand about diet culture is that one it's a 72 billion dollar industry mm -hmm. no industry gets to be that big if it was built for success mm -hmm. it's not it's mm -hmm. built for repeat customers yep. so that tells you first and foremost that diet culture and the dieting industry is already setting you up for failure because the diets were never meant to be successful if they were they'd be bankrupt yeah. And so, you know, even knowing that, you know, we, we see the same thing um, specifically like with Weight Watchers, yeah. um, you know, it's the same program. It's just being rebranded. It's not Weight Watchers anymore. Now it's WW yeah. and now they're focused on wellness. They're not, they took weight and all weight messaging out of their marketing and stuff like that. They're picking up on it. Yeah, they're picking up on the shift yeah. in our culture. Yeah. But what they're doing is they're just co-opting the messages that we're, we're trying to put out there, you right. know, co-opting the messages of wellness. And it, really, that's just another diet by a different name. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's, that's the idea that, um, that diet culture puts out there is that, you know, you can be successful. And so what we see is that within, um, you know, it, it looks successful in the beginning. You know, you go on a diet, you drop weight. But what happens is, is that your body, it will adjust. Your body is built for survival. It's built for homeostasis. That's the mm. way that we were created. And so it responds to any form of restriction. Doesn't matter what you restrict. Right. You know, if, if you're in an energy deficit, your body's going to slow down your metabolism first. And then it's going to start to store everything because it believes that you are starving. It right. has no idea that you're doing this on purpose. Mm -hmm. Because why would you? Why would you starve on purpose? <laughs> right. And so um, because of that, it, it slows down your metabolism. You're going to lose weight initially, and then you're going to hit that plateau. And then the behaviors that you engaged in are not sustainable because they never were. And then you're going to see the weight creep back on. And then, you know, in many cases, you feel like a failure. And so you're just going, whatever. Yeah. You know, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to go back. And so what we see is that over time, your health is not impact like the um the way that we word it is that you know the biggest predictor of weight gain is going on a diet mm -hmm. and actually when it, we look at um impacts on health body size is not actually the important factor right. it is weight cycling mm. dieting has a worse impact on your health than just staying at your current body size and so, you know, I don't know how much time we have to get into things like weight stigma and, you no, know, go ahead. yeah, here. yeah, we got another hour. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, you know, just, just kind of addressing that, you know, part of our framework that we use is, is called health at every size. Um, often that is 
very, um, like it gets confusing for people. They interpret that as healthy at every size. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how we can pursue health at every body size and that improving your health does not mean shrinking your body. Mm. It means engaging in health promoting behaviors. If your body size changes as a result of that, we remain completely neutral about that. Yeah. Okay. Your body changed, you know? I know a lot of people really want to celebrate that, but we want to celebrate what were your behaviors like? You know, what health-promoting behaviors? And by that I mean, you know, eating in a way that makes your body feel its best. That is way different than prescribing a diet for somebody because what makes me feel my best is very different from what makes you feel your best or what Rachel feels best with. We don't know those answers. We don't have those answers for them. And so helping them discover that is part of it. Yeah, and that's such yeah. a good, I mean, again, tying in mental health, like that's a, such a good parallel because I don't care what people do. And, you know, one, one of my clients, and he'll probably listen and know, but like, you know, he always like, well, don't say you don't care. So I need mm-hmm. to reframe it. But it's like, I care so much that I don't have any judgment for it. Right. So mm-hmm. if you want to drink two beers a day, if you want to do whatever, but it's, is it, how is it impacting your life and mm-hmm. your family oh, and yeah. your system and your functioning? Yeah. You know, absolutely. that's not my place to, to judge it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, even even from like a pornography standpoint or these things we work in, like not everything is addiction. Yeah. Not everything's good for you. But I don't know people's history. Like if yeah. you've been sexually abused and have all this trauma and the best you can do is pornography once a month to maintain, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we want that to be free or you want that to be free, then we'll mm-hmm. keep working on it. But if right now that's better than every day and yeah. honesty is better than perfection, then that's the goal together is to yeah. say, how can we be honest and have integrity and be congruent, mm-hmm. not how can we be perfect? Yeah. How can our behavior, right, get right. our value? So it's really cool. I mean, I'm really like, you know, nerding out <laughs> about y'all doing this because it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, you know, you saying that it, it makes us, it makes clients less have to confess to us. You know, they're not mm-hmm. confessing to us what they, all the bad things that they've eaten or the bad ways that they've treated their body when we're really helping them discover what the answer is yeah. for what, what coming is healthy alongside for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, we've all heard people, I mean, shame themselves about what they eat. I hear oh, it all, all the, the time. time. Yes. I mean, not even in work that we do, but just like you're at a party, you're at a friend's house, you're for Christmas, mm-hmm. and people are like, well, I know I'm going to eat this other thing. And, and nobody, I'm not even looking at what people eat. Right. You know? We're all too worried about what we're eating, oh, what our bodies are feeling. I had that conversation yeah. so often with clients that especially clients that spent time with family over Christmas Mm -hmm. and now that they've gotten some freedom they can see how much freedom a lot of their loved ones need and just walking them through how to how to maintain that freedom and also be around their families and and really just grow in confidence of what they know about their bodies and Mm -hmm. what they know is is good for their eating pattern um it's just it's hard to watch um people question what they know to be true because of the influence of their families but um, and a lot of times my clients are really, they feel like pioneers in, in their families. They're like, uh-huh. I'm the only one that yeah. wants <clears throat> freedom. So countercultural. Yes, it is not it, it the is. norm. Like if you, if you're saying, you know, like, please don't talk to me about your diet. I'm really focusing on my relationship with food. Yeah. You're a weirdo. Yeah. Like no one knows what you're talking oh, about. Oh, you're absolutely a weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, and I tell people this all the yeah. time. You don't, you want to be a weirdo. Yeah. Right. Like in our culture, people, people want to be normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to be isolated. We already all feel disconnected and isolated and that's yeah. such a human condition. So we don't want to do anything that makes us fall into this minority culture. Mm-hmm. But yeah. as Christians, like we're actually called to do that. 
Yeah. We're called to so go down good. this narrow road and in this small path and through this tiny gate. Yeah. And that means we're always going to do weird stuff with mm-hmm. food, with money, with relationships, with parenting. We're usually going to have to find, and that means we have to find a community of people around us who are validating. Yeah. Who yeah. support what our goals are with a non-judgmental stance. Right. And can, and can deal with nuance and differences. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a small pool of people. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. when people are thinking about that out there, like right now, like, how could I do this? Nobody supports me. You got to get a different support group. Yeah. You're going to have to, you know, maybe find a group and, right. you know, find a, a dietitian that's supportive. Right. And then as that person's supportive, you find other people. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to start with a therapist or a dietitian because the other people around you are not going to do it yet. Yeah. And they're not going to get it. But what, what you find out as you get healthier is that you don't need them to. Mm-hmm. Because as you're a healthy, congruent person, then you can stand on your own. But yeah, it's hard in the beginning to go home to family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people don't see the connection of like, we're in Louisiana, so it's crawfish. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like we have crawfish boils and we have our families over and we all mm-hmm. eat and we celebrate and we sit around the table and yeah. uncle so-and-so comes from this and so-and-so come back from Afghanistan and we're all going to do this thing. Yeah. And so if you're there and you're like, well, I'm going to eat a salad and some chicken. Right. Yeah. Everybody's like, What? Because mm-hmm. somehow you're taking away from their experience by not partaking in the thing. Right. Because food is relational. Exactly. The way we eat is relational. Right. It's how we communicate with their people. Well, mm-hmm. and what an opportunity to steal our joy and steal and distract us, truly distract us mm-hmm. from something so beautiful, such a gift. I mean, I know as a dietitian, I used to kind of resent the fact that I lived in Louisiana. I was like, oh, we just, we have it harder than other dietitians because it's we live in such a food-centered yeah, centered culture here and now i really view it as such a privilege it's Mm -hmm. so beautiful how people come together with food you know around food and we talk about food and we swap recipes and before you know in the back of my mind i felt like i couldn't be a part of that because i was Mm -hmm. a dietitian as crazy as that sounds like i will never be in that world where i can enjoy um, this really buttery, rich, whatever. I don't want to pick on butter because I love butter. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't be a part of it. And You, you can't know, eat king cake. Oh, you can't eat king cake or you can't eat too much or you have to eat it right after you work out or whatever. Or we have to healthify it. We have to make we have it to gross. We substitute applesauce you know, for butter do. and recipes. We do. We, <laughs> that's all we do. You and I don't have butter at our house. No. So the world is, uh, thinks about us, but. I've eaten in her house. She has butter. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's, it really is a beautiful thing. And I think, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are probably local listening. And so, um, you can enjoy the culture that we Mm -hmm. live in and and we can, we can do it healthfully. We can do it in a way that is freeing and what's good for us. I mean, there are certain things I don't eat because they don't make me feel good and Mm -hmm. I would love to eat them, but I, they genuinely don't make me feel well. And I know when I choose not to, there might be judgment. But as I'm growing in my confidence in my mm-hmm. relationship with food, I don't care what they think. I no, genuinely don't care. Because they don't have to go home with you. They don't. Yeah. You know, they don't have to deal with the consequences of being tired or having, oh, no. you know, mm-hmm. mucus or whatever. I mean, I know, like, yeah. that's the stuff that happens. Like, when we got sick, like, JC was like, no dairy because it's going to make us feel terrible and we're not going to recover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. So it was like three weeks I didn't eat any dairy. And yeah. like this week I've eaten, I went like Chick-fil-A earlier and I can already feel like I'm coughing yeah. more, phlegm's yeah. more. It's very real. Like, I'm like, it's not COVID. I promise I'm just <laughs> coughing because I yeah. ate dairy and I'm probably allergic to it in some way. Yeah. So, yeah. so in that example, yeah. like 
you're not avoiding dairy because dairy is bad or no. dairy is, you know, in that moment, like and I'm you're not going to stop eating. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you chose to avoid or limit how much dairy that you had as a form of self care. Because right. for you, it increases mucus production, just like it does for many, many people. Um, and so when, when you're getting over COVID and you're already hacking up stuff, you don't want to do anything to make that thicker. Mm -hmm. The way that you do self care is drink plenty of liquids, make sure you're getting sleep. And then of course, avoid things that are going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. So like, that's the thing when, when people come to me and, you know, if they might have something that are, that are an intolerance, like whether yeah. it's a dairy intolerance or something else too, you know, it's, what is the reason behind the avoidance? Is it because yes. of your belief systems around that food? You know, are you avoiding it because of this set of rules or is it a form of self-care yeah. because it doesn't make your body feel its best? Mm -hmm. That's where we do the work in session to figure out, like to pull that apart because sometimes we see that people avoid things because it's like reinforcing the narrative, like whether it's dairy or gluten, you know, gluten mm -hmm. is often something that gets pulled from people's diets right off the bat without it's the culprit. Yeah. <laughs> without any true intolerance. Yeah. Those intolerances exist. One of my siblings, um, when that person eats gluten, they consume it and then they, they immediately feel bad in their joints, their joints ache, they have no energy, immediately start swelling. Yeah, tell me what gluten like is or for the average yeah. person listening. Cause that's, you know, being a food allergy parent, mm -hmm. you know, when I send my kids to school or to a party, people look at me like, you're one of those people who are just like gluten free for the yeah. fun of it, yeah. you know, and you're just being ridiculous. You know, I mean, even some of our family members would be like, well, what's the, what's the worst that's gonna happen? And I'm like, well, he could die. Yeah. You know, like that's not like a small thing. He's not right. gonna get like some little itchy Mm -hmm. and then he'll be over it in 30 minutes like he's gonna you know yeah. <laughs> start vomiting and go into shock yeah but right. people don't get that so talk what what is gluten because i think that is a big one in the culture where people mm -hmm. are like not trying to eat it or i'm going gluten free yeah. and so tell me a little bit about the pros and cons of that and yeah so gluten is the protein that's found in wheat and so many of the diets around here have popped popularized avoiding either carbohydrates in general or going gluten-free. Um, and so, you know, for many people, what they say is that, okay, well, I, I took gluten out of my diet. I feel better. Yeah. And, and first we would take a look at what else did you do? Yeah. When you took out gluten, was it actually like removing gluten or was it the fact that you actually ate some more vegetables than <laughs> what was normal? Yeah. What'd you like, replace it with? Of course. Yeah. Did you feel better because you ate more fruits and vegetables than you were b previously? Yeah. Um, but you know, or on the, the opposite end of that, like, you know, we know food intolerances do exist, but when people remove it, and then they eat again, usually what happens is going back to that restrictive mindset, they restricted it for so long, then they ate a whole bunch of it in one sitting once they finally <coughs> couldn't maintain that anymore because yeah. they weren't doing it for self-care. Mm -hmm. yeah. They were doing it for diet, dieting reasons um, or food rules reasons. And so they they eat a high carbohydrate load, a high you know gluten load meal, and then all of a sudden they feel really bloated, yeah. which reinforces the narrative. Like, oh, I can't eat this. It's bad for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's bad for me because it makes me feel bloated. Mm -hmm. That is a very natural response to removing carbohydrates and bringing them back in because yeah. carbohydrates are stored in our muscles as glycogen, yeah. and for every one gram of glycogen, it pulls in four gra grams pounds. A lot of water. Yes. <laughs> yeah. For every one gram of glycogen stored in your muscles, it pulls in a lot of water. And so when you remove it and then you add it back in, all of a sudden, all the water rushes back into your cells. Yeah. And so when people have removed that, they drop water weight. 
they think it's weight loss. Yep. Then they add it back, and all of a sudden they feel bloated. Mm -hmm. It's reinforcing this negative narrative that, oh, wait, gluten really was the problem. Um, Right, so it's not... uh, Yeah, go ahead. Well, and I I would say, too, um, that gives people black and white rules. Mm -hmm. They think, okay, well, well, gluten is the problem, so I'm going to eliminate it. And then in turn, they're like, well, I'm eating all these, I'm eating better as a result, you know. But that's, like you said, likely why they feel better. Yeah. But then there's this halo effect around gluten-free foods. And Mm -hmm. so you kind of unknowingly eat more of them. And Talk about the halo effect for those who don't know. Well, I mean, and you can add to this for sure, Mm -hmm. but, you know, you just label foods as healthy health foods and safe foods because they are either gluten-free or dairy-free or they're free of whatever food you have has, have deemed bad, bad or yeah. wrong. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Like a lot of it's the labeling, the marketing labeling, mm-hmm. like you'll see oh, something yeah. that says gluten-free on it and you're like, oh, well, this is healthy, so I'll get this. And it's yeah. like terribly yeah. loaded in sugar and fat. So can you, yeah. Well, or up. like the word natural. I mean, it's not regulated. <laughs> right. It's not yeah. regulated. So yeah. you could put natural on really gross things i mean i don't want to you know you could you could say anything is natural and people are like oh this must be healthy mm-hmm. you know so well, it's really example. misleading i mean <laughs> you could put uh i mean like a bag of potato chips right. these are natural and yeah they um, are the, the potato yeah sure <laughs> it was it was once a potato you know so yeah. i think that uh People rely on labels a lot, and um, we, that's part of what we do is we, we provide education on mm-hmm. that and what to look for and um, also not to get overwhelmed by it. I mean, I try to narrow down the list of things that you're really looking for. Um, but as far as, as the halo effect of certain foods that you have are, are labeling as healthy, you know, you just overconsume it. Because you've eliminated so many other foods, then you're like, well, my options are so limited, so I'm mm-hmm. going to eat this whole bag of gluten-free Oreos, you know, when I mean, or, or, or whatever yeah. it might be. And you could have the Oreos with gluten in them and then be more satisfied and well, eat that, less of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I actually just had that conversation with a client today. Um, the, it was low-carb chocolate bars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the person was saying, like, I just can't control myself around these low-carb Uh, chocolate bars and so you know as we were talking what I explained was that your body is seeking satisfaction from something that you're not giving it so whenever you feed it low-carb chocolate bars it's thinking okay this is kind of chocolate-ish yeah (laughs) but the satisfaction piece is missing I am looking for that and I'm gonna keep turning up that preoccupation with this food until you give me what I want Mm -hmm. so what I explained was that if we just sat down and had a piece of real chocolates, mm-hmm. you know, not low carb chocolate, like and the ate real it stuff. very mindfully and, yeah. and enjoy, you know. You'd be satisfied from it. that yeah. because your brain and your body would go, okay, that's exactly what I wanted. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I wanted to expand a little bit more on the, um, the halo effect of foods in that what it also does is those labels, they're, they're assigning moral value to foods. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's saying these foods are good these foods are bad and we all know what happens with labels yeah we take those external labels and then we turn them in yeah you know oh i'm bad for eating this yeah yeah can you give some specific examples um because i think we you know this will a trap we fall into a lot as professionals is we forget what we know yeah like we know what what we're talking about yeah and and so it's like the average person out there is is learning i mean i'm learning a lot just sitting here listening but I'm trying to always think about the average person. Mm-hmm. So give some specifics because, and I want to get into, don't let me forget to get into like cleaning your plate and stuff like yeah. that. Okay. But um, so give an example. 
Yeah. So whenever you are um, assigning labels to food, so let's let's start with good because people can kind of relate that a little bit better. Um, so a salad is is good, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Vegetables. So we think when we eat salads, we are being good. Yeah, no mm-hmm. matter how much ranch we put on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, but the moral value is there. The halo effect is there. Mm-hmm. I totally even forgot about that term. Yeah. But yeah, it has a halo effect on salad. Doesn't yeah. matter what you put in that salad. It's a salad, yeah. right? Right. Um, so on the opposite end of that scale, we have the foods that we, we call the bad foods. Yeah. And for many people, that looks that looks very different. I always ask people, like, what does that mean mm-hmm. to you? Um, for some people, you know, like uh, tempura fried broccoli is a bad food. And for other people, like, oh, it's still broccoli, you know. <laughs> um, but so let's use classic examples, desserts. And, mm-hmm. and I love this because it's going to tie back to marketing. Um, you know, desserts we think of as bad. And so when we eat that, we say, oh, I'm going to be bad tonight and get mm-hmm. a piece of chocolate I'm gonna cake. Yeah. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. This is my Ooh, cheat meal. Yeah. <laughs> cheat, cheat meal, cheat day. Yep. Yeah. And so, oh, man. so marketing really plays into that. And it's saying things like um, sinful decadence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so That's when, funny. when we use terminology like that, we're saying like, sin, like sinful. We all know what sinful means, whether you're a believer or not. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a very powerful term. And so when you're labeling foods, good, bad, clean, yes. by association, even if we're not using the word, our brain's already saying dirty. dirty. Oh, yep. Yeah. So I'm, I am dirty for eating this. <clears throat> I'm bad for eating this. When there's some, yeah. you know, provocativeness to that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some sexiness to doing the sinful, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. sinfully delicious. Decadence yeah, they yeah, use. for sure. Yeah. So things like that, you know, are really, so when we're assigning moral value to food, we're assigning moral value to us. Mm. And so, what, yeah, That's good. what yeah. we're really trying to help I mean, people terrible, to but... see is, is food neutrality. Yeah. We're not saying that, that, you know, decadent chocolate cake is on the same nutritional playing field as broccoli at all we know that's not true the nutritional profile is way different Mm -hmm. but what we are saying is that we don't have to demonize foods Mm -hmm. and put other foods up on a pedestal because you're doing the same thing to your behavior if you just have a neutral relationship with those foods then you're able to allow yourself to enjoy all foods without any limitations or restrictions mm. no labels yeah yeah with no labels yeah That's so good. and and he designed us to know how to do yeah. that we've really overcomplicated eating Absolutely. um i think it started um as as a, a pursuit to to help people it really did and and now um i mean the the enemy's just taking it over and 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 wants us to seek our righteousness through our our eating pattern which we can't mm-hmm. and so you know, this message that if you are on a better diet, you are better. You are mm-hmm. good. I, I was good today. I had, um, I've been good all week, you know. Oh, I hear that all, all the time. Oh, I've been yeah. good all week. I'm going to go, I'm going <clears> to <throat> go yeah. out and have my chips I'm gonna and queso. I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to treat myself. Yeah. Mm, the, I, deserve just, I deserve this. I deserve this. I have common. to earn this by yeah. association. You That's do what have to even earn exercise. it. I've, I've been good yeah. all week, so I have to earn it. I mean, that is is incredibly common and and well accepted across the board and so um being you know being different and and saying that's not going to be my narrative that's Mm -hmm. not um i'm not going to label these you know people people are uncomfortable with it because you're taking away a means for them to feel good and a means for them to um to feel like they're earning their righteousness through their eating pattern and that's really hard for people i work with clients on that a lot when 
they don't realize because they're health enthusiasts by nature mm-hmm. a lot of them and they say well this is all I've known I mean I've always been interested in nutrition and, and, and fitness and so if I can't earn something through my good behavior or my good eating patterns then I don't know where to get that from and mm-hmm. then that's where the gospel comes in mm-hmm. that's where this new uh, truthful message comes from so um, it, it's hard for people to, to let go of that. And, and it sneaks, you know, it sneaks up all the time where yeah. as, as dietitians, we, we, I think we feel like we still have to do that in ways and we're constantly trying to That's tell our ourselves that, yeah, it's yeah. how we were trained. It's how we were trained. Yeah. And so, you know, whenever I get, um, a client that is within the medical professions, I, I prepare them ahead of time and say, there's so much unlearning you're going to have oh to do. Oh my gosh. Because yes. I had to do so much unlearning. It's so hard to let go of because you feel like it's so valuable. You know, you yeah. work so hard for it. And yeah. Well, and there's such a, oh man, if there's not a huge truth in, that's a whole marketing scheme in and of itself. And mm-hmm. and I would say this about therapy. Um, and, and, you know, obviously for those listening who are a dietitian in the diet culture, you know, there it's not all or nothing, right? Yeah. This is what you guys are choosing to do, what you see to do the, the culture, and it's not shame on them. And it's not shame on people who aren't trauma-centered therapists. But the reality is, is that you get out of grad school and you get out of school and you learn what's been passed down for 40 years that hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. Those things had good intentions, but we learn more. But these systems of care aren't shifting as fast as the culture is shifting. And so people get out of grad school as a counselor and they're like, I have no clue how to deal with somebody who had anything more than just a general anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. And so people go to therapy for four years and they come in here to me or another therapist and they say, I've been in therapy for three years and I've never heard the word trauma. Yeah. I heard communication skills. Well, me and my wife, you know, she had an affair and I had an affair and we've been in therapy for a year and we've been working on communicating better. And if we just, you know, the therapist said, if we just communicate better, you know, everything would be fine. Yeah. And it's like, well, you do realize like you both have PTSD yeah. or, or close to it, you mm-hmm. know, some trauma diagnosis that is causing these things. And they're like, what? Yeah. But yeah. it's the same thing that you guys are describing. We have this culture that just kind of is doing the same thing and it works yeah. for the system. Mm-hmm. Like it works. It, I mean, even how to say it, it's complicated to do it the right way. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. for our clients, what's best for people. It's complicated because it's nuanced and it takes time and it's, and people yeah. don't want that. They no. won't buy it. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so if we can put things in a cookie cutter fashion, like you learn this and you get your license as a counselor, you do this and you get a dietitian, then you can yeah. go and just give that to the people. They'll be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the same thing within it. We can get into food allergies. For a while. But yeah. For a while. Yeah. But it's the same thing with food allergies. You know, one of the things that we've realized, um, as parents of a kid with FPIs, we've been trying to figure out like, why do our kids have this? And so MTHFR, mm-hmm. you know, we found out we both have that and you guys can explain that probably better than I can. But then we start looking at the research of why is it that um, kids have so many food allergies and we start looking at all the antibiotics we've taken over the last 30 to 40 years yeah. of our life. Yeah. And it's like, every time I go to the doctor, if I have a virus or a bacteria, you know, whatever I have, mm-hmm. the doctor's like, here's a Z-Pack. Here's a, you know, shot. Yeah. And I'm there like, thank you. You just gave me something that, that yeah. fixes the problem. Two days later, I feel a little bit better. And I'm like, that worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I don't realize is that I was already going to be better two days later. Yeah. You know, I didn't, if I would have drank water and taken care of myself and slept, I probably would have felt even better faster. Mm-hmm. But now I took this thing that the culture saying is no harm, no foul. Right. But really it changes my makeup. 
and it yeah. kills my bacteria and it changes the way that I function because I don't need it. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I can inject something into my body and it's just neutral yeah. is not real. It's not science. Yeah. And but that evolved, like the healthcare system, like that evolved over time yeah. because doctors had to change the way they were practicing Absolutely. to give the people what they wanted. Mm-hmm. People want to feel better. So they're going and they're saying, hey, I have these symptoms. I want you to fix me today, yep. right now. Give me something. Give me something. Yeah. So it evolved over time where doctors started writing that prescription more and more because that's what they wanted. And so now, now we're seeing the effects of that. We're seeing the gut dysbiosis. We're seeing more food allergies and things like that. And a, a lot of the research on that is, is in its infant stages. Yeah, you know, absolutely. nutrition research takes forever. Yeah, it does. Um, because it's so hard to control, yeah. you know, um, and in laboratory settings, it, it's sure it's great to study rats. We'll draw as much conclusion as we can, but at the end of the day, they're still just rats Absolutely. and we can't always apply those like blanket statements yeah. to, to humans and our behaviors are much different. And so, you know, when it comes to, um, I mean, we've been talking about that. That's like a central theme of everything we've been talking about is that food allergies and all of that have become, um, an an effect, a side effect of treating the symptom instead of the problem, Mm -hmm. instead of the person as a whole. You know, if, if in knowing, like if more people were tested for the MTHFR gene mutation, then we would be able to see, okay, well, this female is married to a male, you know, who has uh, this same gene mutation. Okay, well, they should be taking, you know, they should be taking these vitamins mm-hmm. that are formulated in a way that their bodies can actually absorb Proce- them yep. properly and right. process them properly. And then we would have children who are better set up to prevent against some of these issues. And I'm not saying that we can prevent food allergies in this way. Yeah. But what I am <clears throat> saying is that we we have the ability to make a difference in this area if only we would be a little bit more proactive and aware of, of what effect our actions are having down the road long term. Yeah. Yeah. And we've, you know, we've learned that in the last three or four or five years, you know, the study of epigenetics and how, you know, mm-hmm. what your grandparents smoked or ate or drank or experienced socially has passed down to your parents and to you and makes you yeah. more susceptible. So if yeah. you smoke, you know, then your granddaughter is more likely to be obese. Mm-hmm. Like we know there's this connection and we're figuring this out, but you're right. The research, the proving it quote unquote is still far behind the actual yeah. situation. And it, it's not with bad intention. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like I think all doctors and everybody's just no, like trying to hurt people. Not. We do it to ourselves. We're just as responsible because it yeah. goes back to we don't want to drink water and exercise and eat correctly. And, and, and yeah. we don't want to stop and connect. Well, why do I want to do these things? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to eat this way? Why do I feel bad about myself? Does that connect to my parents? What did I learn about that? Like, yeah. But you have to have all that information to make better decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, but we, we come to professionals, all of us and go, I don't want to know any of that. What is the the thing that I can do to fix this now? Fast and easy. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we as professionals build a system that allows that to happen because we got to make money and we got to, we got to provide stuff for our family and you're wanting it and Mm -hmm. you're the consumer. So marketing, marketing wise, I'm going to give you what you're asking for, or I'm going to at least find a way to justify it. So we both win. Mm but we don't see the long-term cultural effects that it that's causing. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I, going back a little bit to the research, like I think it's also important to clarify that when it comes to research about the body, a lot of times we are looking at correlations. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at causations, but it's so easy for people to just look and be like, okay, 
X equals Y, Yes. you know? And so going, Mm -hmm. yeah, going back to what you discussed, you know, epigenetics is so young, even if we have a gene marker, there's not a guarantee that we're going to, that that's going to cause any problems down, down the line. And so the example that you gave was, you know, our grandparents affect us. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if our grandparents were smokers, the example that you used was, you know, then, um, we're seeing that that is, that's correlated to obesity. And and I'm going to use obesity like this because that's what we do in our field. Um, but it, it, it's what, what studies are out there. They're not using it as correlative data. They're using it as causation. Causation. Yeah. So they're saying X caused Y Mm -hmm. when in reality, those two are correlated. So if we look at, okay, this person was a smoker. We might have some oral fixation going on. We also had an increase in in access to convenience food. We had a shift in our culture during that time of, um, you know, many people in that generation were just coming out of the depression. And so there's a lot of like cultural influences that had on their effects of of eating Mm -hmm. and why they chose to eat. And then during that time, we had a huge rise in diet culture come in. You know, we we think and look back at um, the 80s and the 90s and just look at all of the history of dieting. Yeah, it's evolved. I mean, yeah, and how it's evolved and how has weight cycling through the evolution of diet culture, how has that affected our genetics that influence the makeup of our bodies today? Mm-hmm. And so what we look at is that uh, social determinants of health are so much more complex than we give it credit for. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, so we make these, um, these easy statements, you know, X causes Y, yeah. when in reality it's like that's one tiny piece of the puzzle over here. Yes. Absolutely. And we have all these <clears throat> other things, our environment, um, our, our, social, um, our social system, family, yep. family, you know, um, all of those things are influencing who we are, who we become as a person, and our health, and also our body size. Yep. So when we think about, um, that goes back to what we talked about earlier with health at every size. We like to, um, diet culture tells us that we are in direct control of our body size. Yeah. And that's just simply not the case. Yeah. We are, we are yep. far less able to control that than what diet culture sells us. Well, and have a baby, right? I mean, like that's yeah. the one thing Jason and I've been talking about. Yeah. You have a baby and your hips change and like they're, they don't go back to where they were. Right. And, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you can't fit in the pants you used to. And it's not because yeah. you're eating what wrong or you're unhealthy. Yeah. It's because your body changed. Yeah. And oh, there's, yeah. so there are just like factual things that prove what you're saying is true is that you Absolutely. can't control that mm-hmm. unless you just say, well, I don't ever want that to happen. So I'm not going to have kids. Yeah. Like, so, and people choose that and I'm, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but yeah. the emotional component that makes those decisions is mm-hmm. so different. I, I mean, you know, it's crazy. But the message is that you have to get your pre-baby body back. Oh, oh yeah. gosh. Oh yeah. Don't get on Instagram. I mean, that's, you know, that's the whole, the comparison <laughs> game mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like even as a husband, like I'm talking to all the men out there, like we have these expectations mm-hmm. or we see other women who did this or we hear about this person. She, you know, well, she only gained 20 pounds yeah. and it's like, or had a belly only pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. She only looks pregnant from the front, you know, <laughs> right. everything else is the same in the back. Why or just that wrong? idea that like you're yeah. eating for two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's a whole other thing. I didn't know. I mean, I just yeah. thought that that was the case. Like yeah. you, you know, Jason's going to eat a bunch and she's like, that's like one more piece of bread the first yeah. trimester. Mm-hmm. You know, right. she's like, it's not much. And I'm yeah. like, what? If you can tolerate it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was puking too much to eat. But, yeah. right. but the point is, is that like for her, she's small and she gained 40 pounds, 45 pounds, whatever it mm-hmm. was. That was a lot for her. Yeah. For somebody else, they may gain. So it just, all of that is so variable, which takes me back to the point that I nag on all the time is that the 
from a political system, um, you know, political politics, meaning, I mean, all of that plays into politics, who pays for oh, what, yeah. pharmacology, all these things. Yeah, funding. They are trying to do the best they can to fund for the, for the general population. Mm -hmm. And the problem that we run into is that then as providers, we are only focusing on the general. Yeah, Instead right. of looking at people and going, tell me your story. Mm -hmm. What's harder. going on with you? Absolutely. You know, what's your family background? What's your system? What's happened to you? Now let's figure out what we're going to do about eating or addiction or sex or marriage. Mm -hmm. yeah. Instead of being this one size fits all kind of thing. And so, yeah. I mean, it's all paralleling. So I love what you're saying. And I hope that people can, you know, that are listening can hear this and go, oh man, this makes way more sense than what I've been doing. Yeah. Because this has only brought me shame and guilt and frustration. Yeah. Well, and when, you know, kind of circling back to, to talking about, um, you know, this message that certain, certain diets or certain ideas are, are the only way. And um, I was thinking about food documentaries and mm. just how the, it's an oversimplification to a very complex issue. And yeah. a lot of people yeah. get <clears throat> a lot of information from food documentaries. And I, I don't about think, like Food Inc. or something like yes, that. Yes, yeah. right, right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're inherently bad. I really don't. But I just see people walking away from... From those, um, from that information, having more shame than feeling empowered uh, to to change their patterns for healthy reasons, and I think that we're just seeing that so often is that oversimplification because people people want that, mm -hmm. and I wanted it as a dietitian. I wanted to have a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. I wanted. Or maybe like four sizes, you know, I just wanted something, yeah. some yeah. structure. A handful, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just give me something, you know, and it's just not the way. You, you treat it one-on-one, -on -one, individualized, mm -hmm. and I think that that's a, a misconception that people have about um, dietitians, especially if you uh, are, are, you know, talk with a dietitian maybe at a social gathering or something, and you yeah. ask a specific random question about a diet or something. And Yeah, what are some things that you guys get asked a oh lot gosh. as dietitians? Well, oftentimes people want to tell you about their diet that they're on and mm -hmm. they want, maybe they want your affirmation or they want your, um, you to approve, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, some, we can't give it. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't know yeah. about it. And often it's not something that we would recommend. Um, but <laughs> right. I've just kind of, you know, yeah. I let people talk and I, I've, Smile I've and nod. yep. Um, you know, I, if they want my input, then. Um, they'll ask for it, but oftentimes it's really just, you know, listening and then uh, people have to be ready for that change. Mm -hmm. They have to be ready for the process. And yeah. Um, yeah, they don't really want you to answer. They really don't. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think that's a, that's a big misconception. And yeah. I don't know, I think um, people listening, I just want them to, to know that, you know, walking away from something, education, whether it's a food documentary, an article or something where it has been oversimplified, like mm -hmm. Ashley was saying, where it's not, um, you know, it's correlation, not causation. We don't really have the answer. And um, a lot of times dietitians can't give that answer and um, that people think that they're not being cared for mm -hmm. yeah. because we don't give them rules and we don't give them that. Um, so I just... I want people to be very careful with where they seek their information and the, um, especially with documentaries and things that with ulterior motive or in a, in a hidden agenda, um, that, that I hope that that's not your motivation to change because mm -hmm. um, that creates a lot of fear and a lot of shame and makes you label a lot of foods that, um, and, and think that you're bad because you, you eat those certain yeah. foods. So, yeah. yeah. Um, we got a good time. 
What um, I want to go back to, what are some things that you guys, for the average person, that you would deem as kind of those core um, starting things that can be very, you know, lead to very unhealthy mind states and identity. And, and so one, what I would say that JC's always harping on is the clean your plate mentality. Like she can't mm-hmm. stand that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even internally, I can't either now, but like sometimes that, like that history when Grady's like not eating or Jude's not eating, I'm yeah. like, you didn't eat enough. Like you have to eat, yeah. but they know when they're not hungry. Yeah, you know, it's, and then, st- it's so hard as a parent not to, because that's how we were, a lot of us were oh, raised. Yeah. Oh, I, re- I remember sitting at a table, and Dad, forgive me, but you did it, uh, <laughs> you know, sitting at a table, and I was made to eat, it was either like Mac and Hamburger Helper or peas, and I can't remember which one mm-hmm, it was, but I had to yeah. sit there forever, and I finally ate, and I just threw up everywhere, because oh, I'd already worked myself up so much, yeah. you know, and I see Grady do that, like, if he didn't like something, he'll eat it, and he's like, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to throw up mm-hmm. because of the mental aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so speak to some of, of those kind of, uh, I don't know what to call them. Feeding dynamics. Yeah, or just like, the yeah. you know, because those are, people think they're simple. And what I see in mental health is people go, well, that's just how it happens. And that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But it, like, leads to all these things we've been yeah. talking about. Absolutely. I mean, I think I can speak from, you know, parent perspective that it is, it's so hard not to, um want your kids to practice the same um, eating patterns that you received as a child or kind of enforce what your parents enforced and you know you think you're doing what's best for them you think that um, you're nourishing them and you're there's also some authority in there too where Mm -hmm. you're thinking oh you're gonna do what I tell you right now there's pride there Um, and you just it's just it's overwhelming because it's just one more thing as a parent that you are trying to conquer is Mm -hmm. is um, you know, getting your child to eat healthful food. And then there's so much shame. I I know as a dietitian, but I'm sure just as a a mother for feeding your child the perfect foods and making sure that they're getting all the, all the vitamins, all the nutrients. Uh, So it is, it's so, it's such a big area, a lot of room for shame, a lot of room for just stress. Um, And so I'm laughing because JC asked me the other day, she was like, when's the last time you ate a vegetable? <laughs> you? Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, uh, I don't know, I need <laughs> I to know, eat some. It's a, a hard one, but, yeah. um, but I mean, I, I think from me, I can, I can, I can relate to how challenging it is uh, to, to oh, feel yeah. like, to feel confident in what you're doing. And, but I do think that we don't realize that our children um, are able to eat intuitively. I mean, up, up until... I feel like age around age five is mm-hmm. is just completely there. They they know how to feed themselves. I mean, we're in charge of of what we give them, obviously, and and timing and things. And I know people have different views of that, but um, if you give your child that freedom, if you allow them to practice their autonomy in that area, yeah, uh, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable watching it and letting really them do that, and especially doing that in front of loved ones that you trust and admire the way that they've raised children Mm -hmm. or Um, a spouse who doesn't agree or a spouse even yeah yeah, my husband and I disagree on some things and uh you know (laughs) it's just funny how how now I can see what I was doing just a year ago I'm changing Mm -hmm. so I'm constantly growing in this area and learning more and that's a vulnerable place I mean it's humbling (laughs) to think oh my gosh I can't believe I did that just last year to my 
yeah. one and a half year old or two year old, but I'm thankful for the change and I'm thankful that I'm, I'm evolving and, yeah. and teaching Beck as well. And I know even though Beck, my, that's my husband, even though he doesn't, um, this isn't his profession, he teaches me a lot mm-hmm. and he teaches me to chill out a little bit mm-hmm. and, and, you know, cause I can get really controlling with it. So we don't, you don't have to agree necessarily with your spouse on this and yeah. y'all can teach each other. You're just doing this together and trying to figure this out together. Yeah. I feel like we need a whole podcast. We absolutely just do. This. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, y'all covering such good <laughs> stuff. This is one of my favorite ones so far. And I know I say that over the time, but it's yeah. good. So what are, what are I mean, I need, I need some key, like, clean your plate. Like, what are mm-hmm. some things that if people are listening that, you know, they need to stop doing? Okay. You know. So first things first, our, our standard disclaimer, parents. You are doing the best that you can with what you know Absolutely. in this moment. I always tell my clients, because we, we have to talk about history. Yeah. And I always say, I want you to know, we always assume the best of intentions, unless you tell me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not judging you. Right. right. We assume There's that your no mom shame. and dad, you know, or <clears throat> caregiver, whoever it was in your life, they meant it for the best. Absolutely. You know? When um, I think that's a problem why people don't change mm-hmm. is that there's so much shame around oh my gosh, I did this last year, right? Or, you know, like as a therapist, it's like, oh, I look back at when there were two and now I've learned all this stuff and now I wish I wouldn't have done this. Like Mm -hmm. we did, we had a season of timeout or corner. So nothing was working with Grady. And like, I was like, okay, well, the only thing that's going to work, like I'm not a spanker, so we don't, you know, that's what we choose for our Mm -hmm. family. So the one thing I was thinking is like, okay, corner. And I'm thinking discipline and following and being obedient. Mm -hmm. And then after like three, four weeks of doing that, I'm like, you know, reading some stuff that I'd read before and reading some new stuff. And I'm like, I'm doing this all wrong, yeah. you know, and I had to go and go, we're not going to do this. We're going to do time in. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to help you process. I'm not going to put you in there. And every time I was doing it, which wasn't a lot, I felt so much shame and knew it was wrong, but I had no other option. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. where a lot of us find ourselves is we have really good intentions for mm-hmm. things, but our options are limited and we're yeah. tired and we're parents and we're trying to do the best thing. Yeah. And so we do the least harmful thing possible, mm-hmm. but then we learn and you get to this point um, where you have to choose humility yeah. and you have yeah. to look back and go, it's okay that I messed up. I'm good enough still, but how do I change look going forward? Mm-hmm. And what I see with people is they don't want to do that work. Yeah. So then they just keep doing things that are unhealthy mm-hmm. yeah. and, and that causes way more or problems. I feel like that it's seemingly working. You know, they don't, <laughs> yes, yeah. we sure. don't always see the damage that we're doing when, when it's happening. So you Absolutely. just do what works. So at the heart of it, parents, we want our kids to, we want them to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want them to eat a variety of foods, to not be a picky eater. For one, we don't want to listen to the meltdown that's going to happen when they're hangry. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. You know, um, we want them to sleep well and not get out of bed at 2 a.m. saying that they're hungry. Like, we want them to eat. Mm-hmm. We all and want them will. to eat. Yeah. So, so, you know, like you mentioned, like the younger kids, I would say that that probably stops around three and a half where, yeah. like, they're true intuitive eaters. Um, my parents are always commenting on FaceTime with my son that, you know, my husband loves Oreos. And so Oreos are a big deal in our family. Yeah. Um, the kids, like, him will, like, jump up and down. He's my youngest. Um, he loves cookies. And so she is always astonished when we are on camera and Liam will, like, throw away the other half of his cookie. Yeah. Because when he's done, he's done. Because mm-hmm. a cookie holds no moral value for him. Yeah. Yep. It is not elevated because you didn't say, you have to eat all your dinner before you get your cookie. Mm. By it's doing that, or a reward, yes, yeah, you just enter yeah. tug of war. So at two and a half, he doesn't get that. At four, you know, three and a half, four, you're getting up there in age and older, um, you're entering a power struggle. 
with your kids. So especially if you have strong-willed children, which I have too, um, you know, if you say you have to eat, you have to clean your plate or you have to eat all of your broccoli before you can have a cookie, what you did was just elevate the cookie. Mm. Now the cookie is the best thing ever. The cookie is the prize. And you have to get through that. Now that broccoli, even if you liked it before, is disgusting and repulsive and you hate it. You never want to eat broccoli again. Because all you can think about is the cookie. Because all you can think about is the cookie. And because your parent, well-intentioned, just told you you had to. (coughs) And kids want autonomy. It begins then. Just that young. You tell them they have to. They say no. Unless they force themselves to do it. They force themselves to finish their plate. When they're not hungry. When they're not hungry to get what they want. And so when I talked about um, your external forces coming in and overriding that interoceptive awareness, remember that that those internal cues, Mm -hmm. that happens sometimes by well-intentioned parents. Oh, yeah. It's by saying you have to finish all the food on your plate or you have to eat all your vegetables Mm -hmm. before you can do X, Y, or Z. So, you know, if you want some like... Which is the beginning of putting value on... Dessert yeah. versus broccoli. This makes That's you right. good. This makes yeah. mommy happy. I'm happier with you yeah. if you Ooh. eat the food that I tell you to eat. Yeah. And that's tough yeah. because you do want them to eat broccoli. You do. Or you so cookies. do. You yeah. do. Yeah. But the and there's more... A, and there's a lot of yeah. the other side, you know, we're talking about in the middle, right? We're not talking about yeah. being extreme, but um, there's a lot of people who give pushback because it's like, well, no, then they're going to be in control of you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah. this is the swing in culture with parenting. It used to be, yeah. you know, kids are to be seen, not heard. Mm-hmm. Parents are super authoritative mm-hmm. and not emotional. Yeah. Now we've swung all the way to helicopter parenting and doing everything else. And, and it's in the middle where it's like, because people hear me say, yeah. you know, like if I'm talking about spanking, that it's not effective. And then they're like, well, you just don't want to have, con-. I'm like, no, you give them a consequence 100% of the time, mm-hmm, but it doesn't yeah. always have to be that. Yeah. It sure. could be, in this case, it could be So what to do is my question. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So in this case, um, I will give um, my four-year-old as the example. Um, she is, she's feisty and she's opinionated and yep. she does like, yeah, you know, uh, good old Uncle Clint. And uh, so she, she will engage with you. If you set the stage, she will engage and she will die on that hill. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, what I've really had to work with my beloved husband CJ on is that he is very much like one more bite one more bite oh yes you know? that's a big one yeah mm-hmm. or just eat and I know and sometimes I catch myself doing that too because at the heart of it you want him to eat oh yeah yes. I do it all like, the time. want them to be just nourished and cool yeah yes so what we've really tried to work on is that one you always give a food that is a guarantee you need a I win I love this yeah yeah this is great and I'm not saying that that has to be the most quote unquote healthful option in right. my household if you want your kid to eat, you give them mac and cheese. My kids <laughs> love mac and cheese. Ours is crackers. Yeah, crackers. crackers that's are a good all, one yeah, too. Yeah, that's our that's our our choice for what yeah. I know that they will eat. Yeah. yeah. Grady's big about pepperonis and turkey and chips. Mm-hmm. Yep. He will eat that yeah. at least some every day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So okay. if you want to have you know a meal time that's peaceful, you give them a food that you know that they're going to eat, and you don't limit the quantity either because mm-hmm. they you know that's again if you're limiting quantity, you're an external influence saying you only get this much but you give them a food you know they're going to eat a food they might eat or food they usually you know eat from time to time right um and then if you do want to introduce anything new 
that's the point where you introduce something new, mm-hmm. but only one thing at a time. Otherwise, it gets too overwhelming. Mm-hmm. They've never had these foods, or it's foods that you don't like. Mm-hmm. I do encourage my parents that I work with that just because they don't like it now doesn't mean that they're never going to like it. Yeah. Um, I gave my daughter green beans for two and a half years yeah. regularly, multiple times a month before she ever ate her first green bean. Yeah, it takes a lot. Yeah. It takes so much patience from yeah. the parent and, and consistency. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. And you have to stop and ask yourself, like, why yeah. am I doing it this way? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, why am I being so hardcore about that? Mm-hmm. And you'll realize yeah. it has so much more to do with you and your emotions That's and right. your history. Your relationship it, with yeah, food. Than it does with yeah. your kid. 100%. Yeah. So, so it took patient in that moment. But if I had been, if I had been one to just, you know, say, just try a green bean. You have to eat two green beans before you can leave this table. Yeah. She would never have tried that green bean. <laughs> yeah. But because I was neutral about it, it was just there. I and know. she sees mommy eat those green beans, you mm-hmm. know. Um, fortunately for me, it's one of my favorite vegetables. But, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where modeling is so important. You model the fact, and we had this conversation yesterday at the dinner table. Um, Evie said, mommy, you didn't eat all the food on your plate. And she sees a lot of times I do eat all the food on my yeah, plate because... I've gotten pretty good at knowing my stomach and how much I want to eat. But she said, you didn't eat all the food on your plate. You need to finish your food. And I said, no. Mommy's tummy said that I'm satisfied, you know. Um, I've had enough to eat. I'm good. Yeah. You know, so so if you set your kids up for success with foods that, you know, one, they're comfortable with and you're comfortable with and you're not limiting, you're not restricting those types of things, then then it becomes something that is – exciting Mm -hmm. you know and so some days she tries new foods and some days she doesn't and it's remaining as neutral as you can and so we talked about consequences because the kid is not in control the parent is in control right but you have to figure out what what sense of control you are giving to your child Mm -hmm. and so you know we decide um and this comes from ellen satter um the division of responsibility we decide what because we buy the food and when she decides if she eats and how much and that is the hardest part the if is a big one so even if sometimes you give them food that is a guarantee they love that food sometimes they're just like no i want something else that you're not going to feed them you know and so it's not um you're not a short order cook you're not catering. Oh, gosh. So stressful to me. Yeah. And oh, yeah. so um, <laughs> Evie has, has learned some natural consequences. We prepare her. And I've said multiple times, you know, I noticed that you didn't eat anything for dinner tonight. Um, you know, you know that your tummy is going to be hungry. And she says, no, look at my tummy. It's full. And I'm like, okay, you know, you know you're going to be hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, we're going to talk about, like, the next time that you eat is breakfast in the morning. What do you want to eat for breakfast? I'm already preparing her, right? You know, what do you want to eat for breakfast? She'll name off whatever. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. That's the next time that you're going to eat. Are you sure you've had enough to eat to fill your tummy? Yeah. And a lot of times she'll say yes. And so you've already prepared them for this moment that, you know, eventually she goes to bed and she's laying in bed. Mommy, she's still laying in bed at this time. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. I said, do you remember at dinner time when I asked you if you'd eaten enough to eat? And she's like, well, yeah. I said, and the next time you get to eat is, is breakfast time. And so that's a really hard thing for a parent. I'm not starving her. If she's melting down and losing her ever-loving mind, of course you're not going to starve of your course, child. Yeah. Right. Of course not. Well, that's what I but, always try to say is, like, they're going to let you know if it's serious. Yeah. Like, if they really need it, they're right. going to let you know most mm-hmm. of the time. Like, yeah. Right. In this case, it was not serious. <clears throat> it was a delay tactic. Or she may have actually been feeling pretty hungry because she didn't eat anything for dinner. Yep. And so... She got up the next day. She ate a really big I'm breakfast. I'm sure she did. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but it was part of that was letting her learn a natural consequence. Mm-hmm. It is your choice. If you choose not to eat and mm-hmm. you're, you've given them food, you've been, you've provided a supportive environment. If you've chosen not to eat, then your tummy is going to be empty. Right. You learned a natural consequence. Yep. Um, she is only them hung, hunger, you know, yeah. to, to read their hunger mm-hmm. and realize that, oh, wow, that's something that I, I really need to pay attention to. Yeah. Oh, man, it's so emotional. It you is. Know, and I do want to say this for people because I am these people, you know, circumstances are different for everybody. Oh, and, absolutely. you know, for us, we talk about this all the time. If I could have done it on paper, we would have done things a lot differently. But because of food yeah. allergies, we're so limited mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. we're more, more flexible than I would have been. So yeah. like yeah. we had to uh, breastfeed moving around. We had to when we tried to transition them to formula mm-hmm. at one point, like we had to sit them up in the middle of the night and let them watch television because it was the only thing to get. But Grady was dropping weight and going underneath. Oh, so it was yeah. like, but that formed some really bad habits. Yeah. That, that then we had to break out of mm-hmm. and like we let Grady graze so he'll play and go to the table and sit down and so now we're having to redo that or we're, we're trying to get Grady and Jude to sit at the table mm-hmm. but because Grady doesn't ever do it Jude doesn't want to do it right and so then they're up and down and up and down and and, I, and sometimes I go well, what does it matter yeah you know and sometimes it doesn't and that's kind of the the case is you have to know your kids and your family mm-hmm. and you have to you know check in on what they need and what's best for them and and it's not to withhold to get in the power struggle. It's right. to teach good lessons about food. Right. Yeah, so it's not, picture. I'm not going to feed you because I'm in this power struggle. It's yeah. for the long term, like. I'm teaching you lessons. Yeah, because yeah. Grady, Grady loves a snack at night. And it's genuinely because none of his food has high fat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he will eat a good dinner yeah. at 530. Mm-hmm. And at 730 when we're going to bed, he's hungry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to fight that sometimes. Like, no, because sometimes yeah. it is about, I just want right. to stay up. But now, like, he really, he just always just eats a snack, reads his, he didn't stay up longer. Mm-hmm. He's just hungry. Yeah. And he'll eat three pieces of turkey, a handful of pepperoni, and a bowl of chips. And I'm like, if you can eat all that every night, yeah. it's because you're hungry. Yeah. yeah. But the parenting part of me mean, is like, that's really annoying. That by the, I give you a bath, I get you ready, mm-hmm. I pray with you, I read your book, and now you're like, yeah. I'm hungry. Yeah, it's very frustrating. So I'm like, oh, is this, are you tricking me? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's, so if you're out there and you're like, no, this works, like, you know your parent gut. Like, mm-hmm. that may be the case. Right, yeah. Some kids, like, they need the, like, you know, if you eat an early dinner, they're going to need something before right. bedtime, mm-hmm. you know. Based off the structure. Yeah, I know y'all eat parents. a lot later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so my kids are eating, um, you know, dinner sometime between six and seven, and then they're in bed by seven thirty. Right. So you know what I'm saying? Like they don't difference. have to wait a whole long. Really, yeah. yeah. My kids eat so like five, five fifteen. Yeah. Because you know, they're starving by the yeah. time it's that time, right. and then two and a half hours later, we're about to go to bed at seven thirty, yeah. and yeah, Grady at seven fifteen is hungry, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like we got to deal with this, but well, it, yeah. But it's all messy. It's you know. Yeah. Well, and that's where the parent has autonomy. You get to choose when. Okay, so you get to choose that your child is going to eat before bedtime because that's what his body needs. Mm -hmm. That's his energy needs. That's demand on his body. And that's what's going to help him sleep his best. Like, you know, your kid. Absolutely. And so, yeah, whenever we're talking about things, you know, that's what's so complicated about on a podcast. Like, this is a very generalization and everything is nuanced. You know, everything is is all about like if you were sitting in my office, like we'd be talking through all of those scenarios for sure, because we want to make sure that it fits your family, you know? Yeah. So those are some like hard and fast, you know, tips, I guess, about family feeding dynamics. But yeah, those major takeaways are, are things like, you know, not cleaning your plate, not coaxing or bribing. Rewards, um, yeah. 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 Well, and I, I, just to add to that, I think that something that 
was really hard for me. Elizabeth is three and a half, and she's at this age where she gets fixated in some, on something and, mm-hmm. and wants um, she wants what she wants, and she mm-hmm. knows it, you know, like the jelly beans or the, um, the things that are, are sugary and taste good. You know, she wants yeah. those, and so... Um, I, I, I don't want to tell her no all the time and I am in charge of when she has those things. So telling her that sounds so yummy, you know, Mm -hmm. that sounds really good. I I know why you want that. So let's put that on your plate at snack time or let's put that on your plate at dinner time. I know that that really helped me a lot. Just, um, help her to see that that food that you're asking for is not bad. It's just not the time for that food. That's really good. Kind of creating structure around that and, and maybe a little predictability like with juice, you know, Mm -hmm. we, we give her juice at a specific time of the day, not because juice is bad or um, I just, uh, you know, she has, she doesn't ask for it as much because she knows yeah. when it's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. You're, you're not restricting it. You're, you're no. regularly providing it in a way yeah. that she can anticipate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And they get used to anything because yeah. Grady, you know, because of his allergies, never had anything but water. Mm-hmm. And now he doesn't want to drink juice. Like yeah. he's yeah. six and like he's drank juice like a couple of times. Like mm-hmm. now he's just now every once in a while, like, can I have, you know, apple juice? And it's not yeah. often. Like yeah. 90% of the time he wants water. Mm-hmm. Jude, he's been drinking milk from the get go. Like he'll drink everything. You know, yeah. he's like, I want yeah. juice. I want apple juice. I want yeah. orange juice. I want milk. I want my milk in the morning. You know, like, so it's, it, it depends on the kid too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know we're running out of time. So, um, what I do want to say generally is, um, the other thing is with everything, if you're listening, we don't, you know, striving for perfection in these things is going to f- make you do everything wrong. You're going to, mm-hmm. you know, instead yeah. of doing like when it comes to food, I have the same kind of litmus test for everything. Like try to do the right thing seven out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you're going to screw up. You're going to be on vacation. You're going to travel. You're going to have a crisis. Yeah. Your kid's going to be melting down. And sometimes you're going to cave and yeah. do something that you don't think is what you should be doing. Yeah. Everybody does that. Well, that's, I, I, the words that I use with my clients is that eating, every eating opportunity is the chance to learn something new. Yep. Yeah. That's good. So that's why you're, you're like, it's not going to be perfect. Okay. This happened. What did we learn from this experience? There we go. Yep. Yeah. And so if you're listening, you know, get, get with a dietitian, call Rachel, call Ashley, call somebody in your area, find the right person for you because you can't do this by yourself. You know, we've done an hour and something of how incredibly nuanced and deep this is. And so if you're out there feeling overwhelmed or struggling with your weight or struggling with your eating or struggling with whatever it is that you feel like is the problem, it may or may not be the problem. Mm-hmm. So you have to come in and talk with somebody because you might come in and say, my weight's the problem. And then through this process, realize really the weight's not the issue. It's something else. Right. And you're happy with your weight, but you're not yeah. emotionally happy with life or whatever the thing is that you have going on. Yeah. So I just want to say that um, I'm, I'm super thankful for y'all coming on here and doing this. Is there any in the last three minutes that we have, <laughs> both of you, something that you want people to know that um, that you like to say? We feel like we covered, we covered it all. So any, much. Yeah, any yeah. hot button things that you're like, ah, uh, oh, I don't. I'm want. sure later I'll think of it. I'll think of what I wanted to to leave you guys with. Um, I don't know. I'd say just the reminder that you know healing is possible, and that just because you've lived you know this way for two months, two years, twenty years of your life, that you know you can heal. It's never too late to seek out healing, and Absolutely. I know that's the same with mental health as well. Is that you know um, it's something eating is something that you do every day. And so if it is a relationship that you feel is broken or hard or difficult in any way, seek out help. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think a lot of people want to, you know, if they're weary in this area of their lives and they feel like they've been struggling with it for so, so long, they get this 
they believe this lie that they can't change mm-hmm. and that it'll never be different. They've tried everything and um, there's just so much hope and there's so much freedom available. Um, and it, it's, it is a process, but it's so incredibly worth it. I mean, we're talking about changing the rest of your life, you know, and, and you, you eat three plus times a day. And yep. so this huge opportunity um, to, to, to renew your mind and transform the way that you, you think and your relationships, your relationship with the Lord and just experiencing him yeah. in new ways and, and figuring out, um, you know, how to allow him to transform that area of your life. It is, it's work and, um, it's new and it feels uncomfortable, but it is, it is so worth it. And there's, there's freedom available that, um, that you didn't even know is there. That's awesome. Tell me, uh, what's your private practice called? Freedom Found Nutrition. Okay. Awesome. And yours? Fulfilled Nutrition Therapy. Awesome. So you can find both of them on our website or you can go to their Facebook pages, Mm -hmm. um, and check that out. Um, you can call them. Y'all both take insurance, right? Yes. Working on that, but yes, in the future. Okay. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on and, uh, good luck to everybody out there. God bless you and have a good day. Thanks so much. Absolutely.